The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Turn with me in the Word of God to that psalm, Psalm 48. We'll read that psalm together, Psalm 48. Let us hear God's own Word. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic, they took to flight, trembling took hold of them, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praises reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Jerusalem rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. So far the reading of God's word. It's always a privilege and a challenge to speak to the last chapel of semester. Um, One always suspects that the students who most need to be here won't be, Um, that those who are here um, are um, either distracted by other calls of duty or are comatose, uh, but I'm uh, glad that you made the effort to be here, and uh, I hope that the Word of God will be an encouragement to us in whatever circumstances of life uh, we face, uh, challenges and uh, blessings as the semester comes to the end. Um, the second book of the Psalter uh, tends to focus on the king and the kingdom of God Uh, And uh, particularly near the beginning, we have a series of psalms celebrating that theme. Uh, Psalm 45, celebrating the king. Psalms 46 and 47, celebrating the kingdom. And now this Psalm 48, celebrating the capital of that kingdom on Mount Zion. And it's uh, a psalm that calls us uh, to consider Zion to think about Jerusalem. For example, in uh, verse 13, we're told, consider well her ramparts, fix your heart on her ramparts. Think about these things, Uh, concentrate on them. Think about verse uh, nine tells us about God's steadfast love in the midst of his temple. Um, Think about what you have heard and seen there, we're told in verse eight. And so this, this psalm, does draw our minds to that uh, great city and um, celebrates that city, its location, its, its elevation and beauty, 
its defenses, uh, particularly are, are highlighted here, its citadels, its towers, its ramparts. Um, its successes, verses uh, 4 through 7, talk about kings coming up against it and being astounded and panicking and fleeing away. It's probably meant to celebrate any number of victories in Israel's history, but probably for most of us we can't help but think about Sennacherib in particular coming to attack Jerusalem and being utterly thwarted and fleeing away. Uh, it celebrates the temple as the center of that capital, as the place where God's people would gather together. And so it is an appropriate um, celebration of that ancient city, but as we read it carefully, we, we rather quickly realize that it's much more than that, that this is a psalm that is constantly sort of breaking through uh, the limitations of uh, celebration simply of an ancient city. And while some would say, well, this, uh, this expansive language is perhaps just courtroom flattery, uh, may the king live forever, nobody thought he'd live forever, nobody wanted him to live forever, but it was the kind of thing you said in court. Um, nonetheless, I think as we pause and meditate on this psalm, we, we, we have to see, I think, that uh, the picture of this ancient capital is constantly pressing us to look beyond that city itself, to something greater, to something grander, to something more lasting. And so this, this psalm is not only about the ancient city, but it's also about the ancient city as a sign to God's people. We might almost be tempted to say, um, if we weren't bound confessionally uh, not to expand the number of sacraments in which we believe, that uh, Jerusalem is something of a sacrament here. It's a, it's a visible sign of an invisible uh, reality to which we're called and on which we're um, asked to meditate. Uh, this is a, a universal sign. You notice that? Uh, Jerusalem is the joy of all the earth. Uh, Jerusalem's praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Uh, this is not just a local capital of a local people, but there's something universally important about this, Psalm 48 says. And it's a transcendent sign, the city in the far north. At least the commentators suggest this is a way of, of talking about it as the, the, the city of God. It's not just a geographical reference. It's a, a transcendent reference about the importance of this as a residence of God. Uh, it's a perpetual sign, we're told. Uh, God will bless her forever. She is established forever, we're told, in verse 8 and uh, in verse 14. So here is all of this uh, sign value bursting the bounds of the limitations of the Old Testament literal city. And, and over, over again, we're told it's a, it's a spiritual sign. It's a sign of God as the protector of his people. Look how wonderfully that's put in verse 3. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Uh, the fortress, the literal physical fortress characteristics of Jerusalem we're being told were intended by God to draw the minds of observers beyond that physical reality to recognize that it's God himself who is ultimately the fortress and protector of his people. And it's a spiritual sign of divine righteousness. We see that in verses 10 and 11. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the end of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness as 
Jerusalem was the capital of the earthly king, so it was a symbol, a sign of God's justice and righteousness and faithful judgments for his people. Uh, It's a sign of God's continuing guidance for his people, as the last verse of this psalm uh, tells us. It's a sign of the divine mercy, as verse 9 recounts. We have thought on your steadfast love, O Lord, in the midst of your temple. The coming to the temple was never an end in itself. It was not to be an object of ultimate meditation on its own. It was to be always uh, a building that drew the mind beyond it uh, to what it stood for, what it symbolized, namely the God of covenant, faithful, steadfast, merciful love. And this reminds us, all of this reminds us that uh, we always have to be careful to distinguish means from ends when we're studying the scripture. And that one of the besetting sins and problems of God's people in in all times is allowing means to become the ends. And that that was a problem for Israel in the Old Testament, wasn't it? That there came a time in its history when they appealed to Psalm 48 and said, Jerusalem will never fall. God has made promises that it will never fall. Jerusalem is our protection. Jerusalem is our promise. And they had missed putting their faith and hope in God and instead put their faith and hope in the city. And those hopes were dashed because means never can effectively become ends. This has been a problem in the church. I think one could say that one of the destructive elements of the Roman church is that it allowed a good means, namely a sacrament, to become an end. So that the mass has become, for many Roman Catholics, the end itself. And it appears they've missed Jesus as that to which the sacrament points. We see that with the Pharisees, don't we, in the New Testament as we read about the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures for eternal life. But you've made them an end in themselves. And you've missed the point, Jesus says, that they speak of me. And you refuse to come to me and find life. The Pharisees had taken an important means to an end and made it the end itself, and therefore missed the true end. And I think at the end of a busy semester of searching the scriptures, it's good for us to pause and do a little self-examination and say, are we in any danger of searching the scriptures and missing the end, missing the point? Wouldn't that be tragic to be like the Pharisees, profoundly knowledgeable in the content of scripture? profoundly able to pass the most difficult Hebrew exam. I don't know how they do on Greek exams, but uh, they'd have done well on Hebrew exams. And yet have missed the point that it's all about Jesus. It's all about his saving work. It's all about his saving mission in the world. And uh, this, this great psalm challenges us to remember God has appointed the ends and the means. Um, Dr. Clark and I would be so thrilled if at the end of this semester you decided you wanted to sing more psalms. 
but it would be tragic to sing more psalms and not see Jesus in the psalms. Or to sing more psalms as a means to the end of just fighting with fellow Christians. Uh, we, want, we want to study the scriptures. We want to know the scriptures. We want to be uh, filled with the scriptures. But, but to the end that God is appointed, that we would know Jesus more, that we would know his saving love. And so when we go back and, and, and look at what this psalm celebrates, we, we realize that we ultimately find that preeminently in Jesus, don't we? He's the great protector and fortress of his people. He's the righteousness of his people. He's the judge to come to make all things right. He's the guide through his Holy Spirit for his people. And he's the steadfast love of God made manifest among us. He's the loving kindness of God. He's God's chesed amongst us. He's our hope. And therefore, this psalm rightly celebrates him as the great king. Again in, in verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Even the king in his capital in the Old Testament was, in a sense, a sign pointing beyond himself to the great king, to God himself, but to Jesus as God come in the flesh to be the king of his people. That's what this psalm celebrates. That's what this psalm calls us to. And so this is a psalm about a city, but more than that, it is a psalm that is a sign uh, calling us to Jesus calling us to distinguish means from ends, uh, encouraging us that uh, we can be servants of Jesus even if we don't get A's on papers and A's on exams, uh, that God remains our fortress, that God remains merciful, that God remains our guide, uh, even if the semester doesn't go really well. Now, this is not an encouragement for you to uh, uh, find comfort in those F's. Um, Remember that although God is a God of grace, the faculty uh, operate under a covenant of works. And uh, uh, you want to do the best you can uh, in that covenant of works. Uh, but there is a greater truth. Uh, there is a greater reality. There is a greater object for all of our um, work here. Uh, it really, for all of us in 10 years, will not matter at all what grades we got here. But it will matter whether we have learned the scriptures better, whether we've learned the truth better. But most of all, it will matter whether we've come to know Jesus better and his purposes and dedicate ourselves to serving his ends, not ours. And that's, I believe, what this psalm and indeed all the scriptures call us to. So we have a city and we have a sign and therefore we have a song, uh, a song that we're called to to sing, to think about uh, a, a song that is directed at, at God. You notice the psalm really isn't praising Jerusalem. It's ultimately praising God who is represented in various ways in Jerusalem. We're to, we're to praise him and we're to do that joyfully. Uh, joy may be the most elusive emotion at the end of a semester. Uh, but these things will pass and there will be joy in the morning. Weeping may last for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. <laughs> And uh, we want to be filled with a song of joy and a song that is intended for generations yet to come. Um, 
verses 12 and 13 of our text. Walk about Zion, go about her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation what? Having contemplated Zion, what are you going to tell the next generation? That this is God, our God, forever and ever. God remains the same. God remains faithful. God is the God who is a fortress. God is a God who is merciful to us in Jesus Christ. And these are the things that should encourage us in our work for him. Let's pray together. Father, how thankful we are that your word comes to encourage us, that your word comes to inform us, but most of all, that your word comes to lead us to Jesus. And we pray, O Lord, in the busyness of this time, that you will uh, help us to keep our eyes fixed solidly on the really important things of, uh, of Jesus, of his work, of his calling in our lives. And we pray that we might be faithful stewards of the opportunities you've given us now to study and to grow in understanding, but that that might always be a means to a greater end, that you would be glorified and Jesus would be made known in this generation and in the generations to come until he returns in glory. Hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.